Hello, welcome to the first episode of the Your Worth Taken Care Of series, brought to you by Man Markin as part of Mental Health Awareness Week 2021. Now, to date, we have made just shy of 100 episodes of the Man Marking podcast. And at all times, we've been asking you, the listener, where's the talking? And we know that there is now a lot more of you talking than when we started, and it's incredible to see. But the next step is to take that talking and do something productive to improve your mental health. So the next step may be for you to seek professional treatment, and that can be scary for a lot of people and a huge step into the unknown. So to help you, we've put together seven episodes, one for every day of Mental Health Awareness Week, to give you some options of what treatments may work best for you. I think the reason why I say this is because I'm getting so many young clients now, young men coming forward, which for me, it just swells my heart with pride and admiration for every single individual that's coming forward at an age and with the inherent pressures placed on them in order to, to deal with their problems that we know are out there for men and women for different reasons but certainly speaking as a man and not as a clinician it's hugely hugely pressurized environment in order you know to be seen to be dealing with this stuff and to see young men calling that out and saying no i need some help here that's a real change that I've seen. That's a big distinction. In today's episode, we'll be speaking to John Bell, integrative counsellor and sports psychotherapist, and we'll be discussing talking therapies. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is John Bell. I am a counsellor and sports psychotherapist based over in York. Um, I've just opened my clinic, John Bell Counselling and Sports Psychotherapy Limited, um, which um, some may say is a bit of a mad thing to do during a pandemic, but never mind, the timing was right and I went for it. I am also um, associate psychotherapist with Mentality, which is an organisation based over in Leeds and run by um, ex-Leeds Rhinos captain Stevie Ward. And um, between two clinics and completing a dissertation into vulnerability in rugby league, which I completed um, last year. Um, yeah, it's been a busy old time. And so at the moment, sort of building my, building my uh, client base across the sort of York and, and North Yorkshire period. But, you know, as, as we were talking just before we came on record, you know, the, the questions and the considerations around men's health and as a man and as someone who's focused quite a lot of my research and my study and my own thoughts as a man upon the issue of men's health I think it's something that um is is going to be is going to be around for a long long time and I'm certainly encouraged by things such as so there's a podcast and, and some of the stuff that we're doing over at Mentality and also the stuff that I see going on um you know, both in the clinic, the conversations I'm having with clients that, you know, men's health and men's mental health in particular is something that I'm seeing is ever so slightly starting to turn a big corner. We're turning that ship around. And so I, I am as much an advocate as I am a clinician or a professional within this within this field. And I'm, I'm delighted to be talking to you. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for, for coming on, John. And, you know, we, we've, we've obviously chatted before we started recording and, you know, we're talking about what it is that you're doing and, and, and why you're doing it and where you've, you've come from. 
in terms of this episode, we're obviously talking about talking therapies. And yeah. I guess that's probably something that a lot of people have probably heard more about in the last 12 to 18, 24 months, maybe as you say that the conversations around men's mental health has kind of developed. So when we say talking therapies, what exactly do people mean when they say talking therapies? Yeah, and, and as I said before we come on there, I think, I think keeping explanations as simple as possible, simply for the reason that, that a lot of things are actually simple to understand, I think is critical. Talking therapy is sitting and talking about your problems, your issues, who you are, what you feel, your emotional state, your situation, things that have happened to you either in the, in, in the past, in the, in the distant past, things that are coming up for you, things that you're frightened of. And doing so in, in front of and with the support of a, a qualified clinician, a, a psychotherapist, counsellor, um, whatever you want to call it, and talking through in a structured, supportive way um, how best you can solve or, if not solve, because solve such a generalised such a generalised thing to say. And, and uh, do we ever solve the problems that have happened in our life? I don't know. I think making meaning is critical to this. Making meaning of the things that happen to us. We are hardwired to survive and get through things. And I think after we do that, sometimes we really struggle with why things happened and we get through the initial um, shock, the issue. We are survivors by very nature. And so sometimes people will bring things to therapy that they thought had gone away or they thought they'd dealt with or they thought they'd forgotten about. And that's, that's the language that we often find in talking therapies is, you know, I thought I'd sorted this. this, this keeps coming back. And so making meaning and finding a place for the experiences and understanding that if possible, how they can enrich our lives, these events that, that sometimes are horrendous that, that, happen to, that happen to clients and happen to us as human beings. If there's a way in which we can find new perspective, new awareness by talking through it, and also getting, getting the perspective of a, of a clinician who is not living your life, but through their training and their empathy and their skill can really guide you towards maybe the aspects of your experiences that while the difficulty and challenge of them notwithstanding, is still really, it, it, they're still able to point out what you may take from it and how you may apply it to your life. And you, you, forward. Me you mentioned there, John, about you know, someone may come in and say, I thought I'd sort this, or yeah. they want to talk about this issue or that issue, or it might be a more generalized thing. I'm feeling this way. Yeah. And you, as you said, rightly there, John, trying to get to, you know, why are you feeling that way? And, and, yeah. and kind of unpacking that in terms of for people listening who might be wondering, you know, is talking therapy for me? Is, is there a particular type of individual a particular type of problem or condition or issue that people generally come and talk to you about or is there anybody that it's that it's not for i guess is probably a, an easier way of framing that question i mean who you know is there a particular type of problem i i, I don't want i'm going to be all existential therapist about <laughs> it. i'm going to say the, pro, the problem that unites every single client that walks through my door is that they're a human being it's really hard being a human being over an extended period of time. And that needs to be acknowledged because I think particularly within men's health, we, we, don't, receive, we don't receive an explicit guidebook, but there's an assumption within male communities, within male cultures, that whatever comes along, we've got this, we must have this. And so a lot of the time I tend to find 
when clients come forward, particularly male clients, is they thought they'd put it to bed. But actually, part of the issue is that as human beings, once again, making meaning is so difficult. And so regardless of the, the circumstances, the, the specificity of, of the condition, it may be trauma, it may be someone who's, who's faced abuse, it may be anxiety uh, and depression based on something such as job loss, career change, breakdown of a relationship. The symptoms are, are, are the trigger points for these um, issues that people can face. Um, Sometimes in the dim and distant past, they've been experienced as a child. There may be something that they've experienced recently. It may be huge change, and huge change can almost be seen as, as grief. There's a real correlation with grief because what it is, it's a really overwhelming change which takes us away from the control and the understanding that we think we've got in our lives. And we mourn for the life that we, we previously had because suddenly life becomes extraordinarily complicated. We see that a lot with, with illness, people who've suddenly been diagnosed with long-term and you know irrevocable illnesses and and that's that's huge as well but you know if you are stood on this planet for any length of time stuff's going to come your way and in and in order to face that down sometimes you need the perspective of someone else and you need to pull together you know we do things as a team you know we, we, we often use a sporting analogy and we succeed as teams and you see men, men of the match you know in, regardless of sport being interviewed and they say well I'll put it down to the team didn't do it all on my own. I put it down. To, I put it down to the team. You know, they're giving the platform. That analogy absolutely works for therapy, and it's you know your, your therapist is in your corner. They're there to support you. They're there to give you perspective. Be objective. They're not there to collude with you, and and you know agree with everything you're say, saying because accountability and awareness that comes from being challenged on some of your perceptions, and that can only be done through talking therapy. And one question I I did want to ask you, John, which which I don't know if um. You know, I, it, it's something I've kind of wondered, and just just purely because because of, of the language that we use. But is there a difference between what we would call therapy and what we would call counselling? And and if so, is is the distinction important? Um, I think it's confusing, and I, and I think it'd be really interesting if we were doing this on video with a group of count, a group of counsellors, stroke therapists, to watch the body language and the and the nonverbal communication about. Once that question was asked to them, <laughs> see who squirmed. Who made a brew? Who's was yeah. off? <laughs> I'm, I'm ducking out of this one. Um, it, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be confusing. The reason why primarily it should be confusing because people should know what they're getting, and they also should know actually that the distinction is not as big in actual factors as it seems to be. And we've created two different words. I think. I, I think what happened is is, is counselling carried certain. It carried certain uh, connotations and perceptions that I think is slowly dying out, and I'm really glad to see that. So some stereotypes around counselling about what it would be, about the, the nature of the person that might be doing it, which really weren't helpful and were wholly inaccurate. And I think the adding of the word therapy, you know, psychotherapy, I think what it does is it makes it might sound more scientific. Um, you know, people may shoot me down for this one, not especially bothered because I think it's right. I think once once we, we add psychotherapy to things, I think it, it does adhere to a little bit more of the scientific aspect around things. And I think it, it's definitely helped the image or certainly um, worked to change the image around therapy and counselling, which I don't necessarily, you know, feel made, made an issue for me, both as a client and as a, as a counselling psychotherapist. But I think primarily what when when you when you talk about counselling, what that tends to be is it tends to be the initial stages of support, talking of talking therapy. 
So counselling tends to be a short-term endeavour when particularly looking at it. You know, if you were to Google this, you know, the distinction is certainly around uh, counselling being a, an immediate intervention where therapy seems to, and psychotherapy tends, tends to be seen as a way in which we work with clients over an extended period of time, offering modalities, um, which are basically different variants of psychotherapy um, in order to support the client to outcomes over a longer period of time. And so counselling's for the short term, psychotherapy's for the long term, but I've counselled counseled clients over a long period of time simply because they've seen it as counselling and so have I. And so the distinction is not as much as a, of a thing as it is you know, as it is in people's sort of minds or really as it can be out there. And once you pick two different words for something, you create a confusion. But um, certainly within psychotherapy and certainly the, 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 big, the masters that I completed a couple of years ago, it's, it's very much around the idea that there's a neuroscientific aspect around this and the, the role that the brain plays in, in how we feel, you know, how emotions are made, how we deal with things, how our brain is hardwired for our survival. There's a huge amount in our brain that's, our brain doesn't know what date and year it is. You know, we are, we, we still maintain aspects of our particular flight and fight, you know, around our limbic system, which is in the middle of our brain, which, you know, is there for us to deal with threat and that, and that, that, that aspects of that limbic system have not changed that much since we were, um, hunter-gatherers and living in caves and so there's a hell of a lot that our brain does to keep us safe and survive that when we're in threat um, or we're in a, a quite subtle threat or you know threats dictated by what it is to be a human being in 2021 our brain doesn't know the difference and so understanding what happens to us when we are um, anxious depressed in trauma I think really helps clients as well and that's something that um, certainly as a psychotherapist and and, and you know part of my training was understanding what the brain does and, and, and I'm well aware that this happens on counseling courses as well but uh, now as well but the, the psychotherapy element was was certainly as a, as a focus or, or certainly has a, a an, an aspect of it which is dedicated to understanding why the brain does what it does and how that impacts upon our lives and I found that hugely helpful as well for clients um, to be able to explain that to clients and clients in turn find it a real relief to understand that Sometimes the things that have happened to them, the way that they feel, isn't necessarily their fault. And blame and accountability are two huge words in the, in, the, in the therapy room, in the talking therapy room. And to know that the way in which you feel is often a consequence of your brain trying to help you survive. It's critical. And, and certainly as a, as, a, as a qualified psychotherapist, that's something that um, I'm really keen to impress upon clients who really need to hear that. And, and, and so the distinction over a longer period of time, I guess we'll be to go into the neuroscientific aspects as well and to, and to really impress upon them why their brain does what they do, it does. And have you found, John, through sort of, you know, the work that you've been doing and, and you know, the, 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 the clients that you've got and the people that you speak to, have you found that there's a difference in the amount or or even, the, you know, the type of people that are, that are seeking out therapy and speaking out talking therapies? Um, I'm 41 now and which is old enough to have significant perspective, but not so old that it doesn't feel like two minutes ago that I was in my early twenties, <laughs> uh, more's the pity. And I think the reason why I say this is because I'm getting so many young clients now, young men coming forward, which for me, uh, it just swells my heart with pride and admiration for 
every single individual that's coming forward at an age and with the inherent pressures placed on them in order to, to deal with their problems that we know are out there for men and women for different reasons, but certainly speaking as a man and not as a clinician, it's hugely, hugely pressurized environment, in order, you know, to be seen to be dealing with your stuff. And to see young men calling that out and saying, no, I need some help here. That's a real change that I've seen. That's a big distinction. Um, from Certainly from me, you know, me growing up at 21 years old, I wasn't inclined to ask anyone to help me with my problems because I didn't have any because the world was fine. Thank you very much. I've got this sewn up and the world's designed for me and I shall be king. Um, and yet, <laughs> life then made its reply and we all face challenge. And so seeing young men, dealing with their, for want of a better word, dealing with their shit and confiding and trusting and being vulnerable um, in the talking therapy space for me is, is so empowering and I feel such pride and admiration for, for young men and for young women who are coming forward. And I, you know, I've got clients across the age ranges um, and I'm really grateful for that. However, the one thing that I'm seeing change is, is the increase in young men coming forward which it has to be heartening. We're dealing with some extraordinarily sobering statistics around male suicide, as, as many of your listeners will know. And to see that for everyone who comes forward, who takes the, who challenges themselves to, to improve and to get peace of mind and to make meaning of their experiences, I really feel like we, we, we try, we're trying to redress this balance and trying, and trying to change things. And I, I, that's something that I feel a huge amount of admiration for. Yeah, I, I agree completely, John, because I think it's one of those things, isn't it, where depending on which way you look at statistics, you can make a a positive or a negative sort of affirmation out of them. And I think the idea that there are lots more people seeking out therapy can, can feel in some ways as though it's a bad thing. Whereas yeah. I think it depending on how you actually perceive therapy, it's actually a really good thing that people are comfortable to actually go and seek that help and 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 use it as a as an ongoing piece of treatment that they would do for a physical ailment in the same way so for for, for people listening john who'd be potentially looking at going and and seeking out talking therapy what what would should they expect what you know going into that and in the, in, the, in the first day into that room what should people kind of be expecting you should be should expect to be welcomed and and, and i can't can't overemphasize that enough, really. As we were talking before, on uh, before we started recording, the decision you make when you decide to reach out and get therapy comes at a time in your life where you may be feeling such shame, otherness, um, frailty, anxiety, in a sense of just completely separate from yourself. That with your last or certainly some of your last, um, I don't know, smart, call, it, call it smart, call it objective, call it courageous, call it whatever thoughts that you've got before you decide that that's it, you're not, you're not meant to get help and you're going to struggle through. You decide to pick up the phone and speak to a therapist or you reach out. The moment someone reaches out and asks for help, as a clinic, as a as a qualified clinic clinician, as a qualified psychotherapist, you better know exactly what they've been through in order to make that call. And so that welcome and that safety and that assurance and that recognition and that empathy and that 
unconditional positive regard, which we call in therapy, which is basically a really long way of saying just being bloody nice. Um, I'm sure the clinicians listening to this will say, well, actually, no, it's not. It is <laughs> being nice and knowing why that nice, why, why that being nice is absolutely critical to them and being authentic when you're doing it as well. As I said to you before, fair, like, you know, there's been moments when people will open up on their first sessions and it, it, it brings tears to my eyes because of their humanity, because of their courage. And letting them know in that first session that whatever, whatever they bring to the table that is held, it is regarded with humanity, it's regarded with compassion, and that together we're going to, and this is a really important thing, together we're going to build a therapy specific to them, which addresses exactly what they want, they came to talk about, ensuring that I ask them, what do you need from me? Because there's no point me sitting there supposing what they need and giving them um, therapy or designing or creating without them a therapy that I think in my ivory towers is absolutely right for them. The power balance is critical and it's got to be collaborative. You know, I, I was a human being before I'm a therapist. And if I ever stop being a therapist, I'll be a human being after it. And so I don't suppose that I sit in, in some sort of ivory tower where I know what's best for people. I am, you know, I, I've, seen, I've seen it said by what, one of my colleagues who was in York, which is, I don't, I don't consider people broken. Therefore, it's not my job to fix them. I pick people that come to therapy have lost that power and agency and understanding of who they are and what's happened to them. Getting them back, plugged back into that is absolutely a priority. That starts in session one. And sometimes just coming to session one and going, things are shit. This is me. I'm really, really, really struggling with X, Y, and Z. And saying, you know what? I get it. I really get that. And for some people, it may be the first time that someone's actually empathized, listened to them. I saw a really, really interesting quote once, and, and someone had said, what would, you say to, what would you say to these people who did such a thing? Or what would you say to these people who were going through a struggle? And, and I can't remember who it was. The person turned around and said, I wouldn't tell them what to do or how to be. It, it's a crap story, because I can't remember who said it. But he said, I, I wouldn't. I'd listen. And this is the key. What we do is we don't listen enough. And so therapy is a really good platform for people to be able to just talk be heard, be seen, not be judged, and to hear yourself talk as well, because it's really interesting that first session that people will come away saying, I feel better just for saying it out loud, because we live in our heads. And the more that we go through stress and trauma and shame and anxiety, we, we ask the brain to do our bidding. And as, as those who will understand how the brain works to any sort of degree, once the brain starts a way of being and starts its, 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 neural, um, its neural ways and means of, of processing thought and interpreting new experiences, it tends to find the most expeditious way to do it, which is to apply the same set of circumstances to everything that's new. And that's why people repeat trauma. That's why people tend to find that they're living in the past because they haven't made meaning of things. And so just to hear themselves talk it out loud and to, and to, and to almost hear it in third person, whether actually brave enough to say the words out loud man that's powerful stuff it's powerful stuff and and, and off the back of that then you can start to co-create something that hopefully takes them on that path back to getting getting back in their own shoes and back in their own skin and knowing who they are do you find john for for people who are coming to therapy and one thing i i, I wonder about with it is um certainly with myself whenever i've kind of 
gone to to see a therapist or I've gone to kind of engage with um, any type of mental health treatment about what type of frame of mind I'm in and, you know, how much, you know, emotional energy I've got to put towards the thing and how much mm. commitment I've got for it. Is that element of it important for people, their kind of frame of mind when they're going into it and how they approach talking therapy? Yeah. In, in, in short, completely. And it's, 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 there's a real distinction. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure somebody that's smarter than I, more experienced than I, but also possibly someone with the relevant data will tell you, they you know what the difference between successful outcomes or whatever could be deemed successful outcomes in therapy where people have self-referred versus people who've been told to go to therapy. Um, it's really important that the decision to come and commit to therapy is yours. Advice is great, perspectives great, recommendations great, absolutely. I get a lot of people who come to my clinic, particularly now because I'm online as well and I've seen people all over the country. You know, I get, I get referrals sort of coming hither and yon and that's great, but ultimately what unites all those people who are going through it is that it was their decision because that's your agency, that's your, that's your choice and your choice is critical. Your choice as to design and to co-create the therapy is yours. And so the moment that you're sitting in that chair, you've got to want to be there. If it's under duress or it's, um, it's not the right time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's tons of stories out there about people who've come to therapy skeptical, yet it's turned around and I've experienced that myself, but you've got to want to do it or you've got to be curious. Let's put it like this, right? There's so many people arrive in therapy I say this to a lot of clients a lot of clients arrive in therapy extraordinarily sad but extraordinarily certain that that sadness is going to remain and so curiosity and some healthy uncertainty is kind of what we're trying to get people back to so if you've got enough curiosity to come into therapy and to maybe wonder what this could be like and to open yourself up and to be vulnerable in those early stages then, then absolutely, there's a hell of a chance that we're going to build something that's, that's going to really support you. But you've got to want to do it. And so frame of mind is critical. Um, what's also critical to say is that working with one therapist is really important. <laughs> it's, I can't overemphasize this. When people get into a, a frame of mind that they have to, they have to get some help, what we tend to do is we tend to well, what can happen is people can try to pull in as much therapy as possible, you know, complementary therapy, um, which is absolutely great and has its place. You know, we may look at medication as well. Uh, and, and these can all, complementary therapy and medication can sit along, alongside talking therapy, absolutely fine. But what we can't be doing is pulling in lots of perspectives because we end up getting confused and we end up losing our agency. So working with one therapist at a time is critical. Um, I think it's important to shop around and to find the right therapist for you to ask the right questions, that those questions themselves can be really difficult. And actually, when we are in that position, it's brave just picking up the bloody phone, to be quite honest. Mm. So, you know, taking, you know, a, a, a rigorous interrogation of a therapist, their qualifications and their approach can sometimes be beyond us in that first session. But you tend to find out in that first session if, if something's going to work and you've got to listen to your intuition, you've got to listen to... Um, whether you feel comfortable and, and, and part and parcel of, of how I approach therapy is about getting people to understand and listen to their, listen to their vulnerability, listen to their authenticity and make judgments based on what's best for them. And so, 
you know, if, if therapy doesn't work out because a person doesn't feel right in that space, that's absolutely okay. You know, you shouldn't preclude them from experiencing or seeking out therapy from someone else as well. But frame of mind's critical, absolutely critical. It's interesting you mentioned that, John, about finding the right therapist because I think that that's really important. And I think, I mean, it's certainly certainly that the the what I found was I I, I saw a, a psychotherapist for about three sessions and and she was great, but I just wasn't I just didn't I wasn't feeling the vibe. And then I saw another therapist about six months later, and it was I straight away I just felt a more like I was in the right place and I think sometimes it is just a feeling isn't it that you get with that you're in the right place it's the same it's the same with why you warm or like anybody I guess to an extent it's just the right sort of crossover of of people isn't it and yeah and I suppose there's probably people who are listening who may have tried talking therapy and as you I think really important that you mentioned John was how much energy and emotional energy goes into just picking up the phone and making that phone call and just seeking out that help in the first place that it can be difficult to go back to the well if it doesn't work out the first time and I guess there will be people listening who have tried talking therapy or have tried some kind of therapy and maybe not had success or maybe not got the experience that they were hoping for what yeah. kind of advice would you give to to those people for people who it's not for people it's not worked out with yeah I guess, I guess the circumstances around it not working out are critical um just getting a vibe that it's not it's not working out um is absolutely fine you know it's it, it's healthy to walk away if you don't feel that this person is meeting your needs being specific about your needs is crit is critical, but once you put them forward, if you don't feel like the therapy is working, then it's absolutely it, it's healthy, and it, in fact, it's imperative. I think that anything that's not bringing you what you need, it's part of what we would model in therapy. If something is in your life and it's not and it's not helping you, in fact, it's actually a distraction, or it's un, it's unhealthy, or it's upsetting. Get rid of it, and that includes therapy as well, absolutely. And 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 you know, people can have mildly you know unsuccessful experiences in therapy right through to sometimes when we feel that either a therapist being rude dismissive and you know i'm not going to sit here and list all the different ways in which a therapist can get things wrong but this is a highly stressful environment and it can be depending on um the therapist and depending on what the client's presenting and it, and it can mean that sometimes we get something called a rupture which is the relationship just ruptures and doesn't just doesn't work and it can be it can be really impactful on the client. I've experienced it as a client, and it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. But it didn't stop me. It didn't it didn't it didn't stop me seeking out other therapy that works for me because I know that I still had a story to tell and I knew that I still wanted perspective. So I think it's important to understand the reasons why it's not worked. I think it's important to communicate with your therapist if you can about how you feel because if there's something that they're getting wrong that they can change, that's great. I've had emails from clients who said, actually, you know, I'm thinking maybe we go this way a little bit on this one. Or, you know what, I'm not too... I think we're focusing on this a little bit too much and this doesn't feel right. And being adaptable in the moment, it, it can really bring renewed confidence. So, you know, walking, walking away from therapeutic relationships without addressing it with the with a therapist can sometimes be a mistrick because if you are empowered to talk about how you want the therapy to go and you don't, you may be walking away from a therapist that can adapt and change things. But it's, your circumstances belong to you. And 
um, who you choose to share those circumstances with and in which, in which context you choose to share them are entirely your right. And when you're in, when you're in trauma, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, when you're feeling that you need some support and psychotherapy or talking therapy hasn't worked for you, it's certainly not my place to say you should keep going with it. You should keep going with it. You'll know, but there are a wide variety of therapists out there. Most therapists should be offering you, should be offering you at the very least, uh, an informal uh, free conversation. I insist upon it. For me, it really helps that first session. And that enables people just to get a gist of what they're, whether it's right, whether the vibe is right, what they're looking for. Um, also what they're not looking for and coming off the phone thinking that they really work. And so shopping around is really, really important. But you know, that, that first, that first fail, if we failed, if we failed at everything and didn't do it again, what an interesting and weird and quite unhappy life that would be. And so I, I think what I would suggest is that if you can go back and find alternative therapies, if it's not working for you and you've tried everything and you've had the conversation, it's still not working. Try someone else. Absolutely try someone else. Um, but be really clear about whether you're right, you're in the right space for therapy and actually the reasons why it may have failed as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really good advice, John. I think trying to, you know, I think sometimes people can feel as though it's not work because they've done something wrong or they didn't do something right. And I think mm. just sometimes realising that you know, sometimes things just don't work and, and it's just how it is. It's just circumstance and it's just about finding something that does work for you. Um, mm. So I think also sorry, on that as well, what's really important to say is, you know, if you get sort of like nine, 10 sessions in and the therapy, you may feel the therapy is not working. Well, maybe that therapy, therapeutic relationship is starting to wind down now. Maybe you've done some really good work with that therapist, but you might need someone else to take it further forward on a different perspective. And that's okay too, as well. You know, I've had relationships that have wound down. I've had client work that's wound down and then I've referred clients onto other, either other different therapists, but also other different types of therapy as well. And that's something that we need to be aware of as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a really good point, Dan. I've not really thought about it like that. That I suppose for a certain part of the, the things that you're trying to deal with one person could help with and a different person might be able to develop them further or develop them in a different way yeah. um and it's just about you know if you're feeling as though something isn't working just putting your hand up and say it isn't working and finding out why is probably yeah. the the best thing that you can do in terms of wrapping us up then john the last question i would have for you is is for somebody who's listening who may be considering any type of mental health therapy and, and, and talking therapy, obviously, in there, what would your kind of one biggest piece of advice be to that person? Talking all, talking all therapies, obviously. Um, starting with your GP is absolutely critical. Getting some informed support, beginning to build your network and structure of supporting out, outlets and avenues is critical. And so you, you should, that should start with your GP and whether that involves... Um, a prescription of, of, of SSRIs or, or mental health medication, call them what you call it what you will. Um, that's always that's always um, a potential for 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 clients. There's, there's no doubt about it. But when you start to think about talking therapy and, and specifically, you know, counselling and psychotherapy, um, I I think the one thing that you need to have in place is curiosity, 
you've, you've got you've got to want to do this you've got to want to get yourself forward and get involved and find someone who can work with you um, which sounds really really scary mm. but the vast majority of therapists I've come across the vast majority um, are fundamentally good people more than that what they should be offering and what should be critical to you feeling comfortable is that opening conversation how do they greet you how do they welcome you what's their response time I absolutely make it a um, an imperative in my practice to respond quickly simply because well that person's reached out once that person's reached out how quick does your, your therapist come back to you or that potential therapist come back to you you know people are busy and I, I, you know I'm, I'm getting busier and busier but it's got to be a, it's got to be a same day response and it's got to be warm and you've got to feel like that that your inquiry your reaching out is held and so if you're getting that getting those vibes and you're getting a conversation as well off the back of that where maybe they invite you for a phone conversation just to build that rapport or get a better understanding of why you're coming forward that first session doesn't seem so scary because all you've done is send an email which i know is a big thing but you sent an email you've had a phone conversation and then you're in Approaching that first session, like I say, it can be scary, but a good psychotherapist, a good counsellor should be meeting you on your terms, making you feel welcome, making you feel safe, and inviting you at a pace that sort of is dictated by you entirely in the early stages. You shouldn't rush anyone to tell their truth. Just inviting them to, inviting your client, you should be invited to, to share to offer a perspective, a pace and a time and within a, a safe context that's completely down to you. And you will be amazed. You will be amazed. I've been, I was a client before I was a therapist and I would come away from therapy or come away from my counseling sessions just feeling lighter because someone had heard me. Mm. It's, 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 it's critical that if you are curious that you don't deny your curiosity. If you're not curious and you've got other ways in which you want to deal with that, it's not my place to tell you that you should be, you should be putting that to one side. Um, we tend to tell people what to do. And I think that is, um, it's part and parcel of being a human being that when we are feeling vulnerable, when we are feeling um, not ourselves, when we're experiencing mental health problems, that any number of people will line up and give us, a, give us their 10 cents. And ultimately you will, you still are the captain of your soul you're still the person who decides what's best for you and if you think that talking therapy is going to be something that's going to help you go there and go with all your heart and if you've got the right therapist and you find the right people to help you you'll be really glad you did absolutely john thank you so much for for your time today mate it's been uh, it's been really enjoyable speaking with you and i'm sure the things that you've said have been really useful for for people listening to get that you know give them that 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 kind of comfortability that talk and therapy could be something that could be really helpful to them. Yeah, cheers. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about Man Marking, you can follow us on Twitter at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtags where's the talking lads and you're worth taking care of. To find out more about John Bell, you can head over to his website, which is johnbellcounseling.co.uk, or you can find him on Twitter, which is at jbellcounselor. Join us tomorrow for episode number two, as we'll be discussing medication, in particular antidepressants, with pharmacist Thorin Gomond.